Welcome to Future Forecast, the podcast where we discuss leadership, technology, and sustainability with some of the most influential leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world. We explore their insights into some of the most exciting trends and topics of our time and learn from their personal experiences. I'm your host, Isabel Ringness, and today we'll be talking about how to create a multi-generational workplace and how to manage and maintain a diverse workforce and consumer base from recruiting Gen Z to retaining millennial talent. We are talking to Dr. Eliza Philby, academic speaker and broadcaster and an historian who studies generations from baby boomers to Gen Alpha. She founded the leading training organizations for universities in the UK. She's written for The Guardian, Times, Telegraph, and frequently appeared on television news broadcasts. When not writing and researching, she helps businesses from all sectors understand the changing needs of their consumers and employees. Welcome, Eliza. So happy to have you here. Great to be here. Thank you very much. So uh, we're at the Oslo Business Forum, and uh, so many people are here to learn about digital leadership and technology. And uh, I often argue that tech is the easy part, but humans, unpredictable and diverse as we are, that's the difficult part. Now, in an earlier interview with the Oslo Business Forum, you said that the failure to understand people is the biggest challenge facing businesses right now. What do you mean by that? Absolutely. I go to a lot of conferences where I see a lot of keynotes and what I call future porn, whereby technology is, is and, and, and what technology can do and how it's going to shape the future is, is, is kind of fixated upon too much. And there's a lack of understanding of how actually society is changing and how not just technology is changing people, but also how politics and how you know economics is changing people. I think that algorithms and indeed artificial intelligence needs to to start with people and emotional intelligence, putting people at the root of what is essentially the Californian doctrine, which is human-centered design. And I feel like that's being lost in a lot of technology um, development these days. You know, I feel technology is starting to solve problems that are not necessarily problems and indeed create algorithms that are not putting people at the heart of those algorithms. So you help organizations create a multi-generational workforce, uh, but I want all our listeners to get on board so they understand what we're talking about. It's boomers and it's millennials and it's Gen Z. What's, in short, because I know there's a lot, but what's the difference between them? What are the trends and the tendencies in, and I guess the most maybe relevant is millennials and Gen Z? Yeah, I think I think it's crucial to to just briefly classify the the boomers, those born in the aftermath of the Second World War, that are really the privileged generation, have you know the benefactors of post-war prosperity and indeed the enjoyers of of a long and happy, healthy retirement. Right now, they're redefining currently what old age and being old means. Um, I think next up we have Gen X, who tend to get ignored part, partly because there are fewer of them and they don't have as much clout and as as much agency as the boomers, um, and they were the first tech generation. Generation. It's wrong to assume that the, it was the millennials that were actually Gen Xers are. And really, actually, Gen Xers are the, the real forward thinkers when it comes to entrepreneurialism. And indeed, they are the chief managers. They are the CEOs right now leading so, you know, technological and social change. And then next up, of course, we have the much maligned millennials, of which I am one. And indeed, I started my research looking at millennials because I felt, hang on a minute, what is it? This kind of weird kind of mix of trends and culture and economics that have created this generation that have very different and I think it's I sort of highlight three differences is firstly they came of age at a time of mass expansion of 
cheap air travel and the, the way in which travel has become a core part of their identity, not just leisure, but identity. The second is um, the mass expansion of higher education and the way in which they are the best educated generation in history. And that's completely conditioned how they see work and their career. And thirdly, and most obviously, is the invention of the smartphone and the way in which that's created a hyper-connected world, but also a one that is all based on comparison. So again, they've just had a multiple of options open to them, whether it be careers or love interest. You know, they are constantly comparing their lives to others. And then, you know, next up, we have Generation Z. Who are the new graduates coming through? Um, born after 1997, up until 2010. And they are very different from millennials in all sorts of ways. Primarily, they come of age at a time of political, social um, disruption. And they are um, have a very different attitude towards technology. They're much more um, obsessed with their privacy, much more sceptical about tech utopianism, much more wary of social media and its impact on your mental health. Um, I think they have a much healthier attitude towards technology than perhaps even baby boomers who are now the fastest growing demographic on social media. Um, And they see their lives and their worlds entirely through video, the medium of video. You know, these guys don't Google, they YouTube everything, whether they're learning something um, or whether they are, you know, seeking out information. It's YouTube that is their primary channel. And indeed, video is the way in which they communicate with their friends. So they are broadcasters in the same way that millennials are commentators. And that creates a very different mindset and that creates a very different way of seeing the world. Um, And they are the social media generation, of course, but that is just one way in which um, they have grown up. Invariably, they've had a smartphone since they were 13. And yes, they have lived their entire adolescence on social media. But also they've had the, you know, access to the world's information and world's marketplace in their pocket since they were, you know, early teens. And that's made them very entrepreneurial. You know, Harvard Business Review a couple of years ago said that um, calculated that 70 percent of Gen Zers make their own pocket money. And they're not doing traditional things such as newspaper rounds or, you know, selling lemonade on the porch. They are buying and selling goods online. They are creating events. They are creating video content. You know, they are invariably have that entrepreneurial mindset that is not even, I don't think, being fully allowed to flourish in the workplace. And I I believe actually that Gen Z will be the ones that will be frustrated employees much more than millennials and will want to go it alone and set up their own businesses. Hmm, Interesting. So let's go a little bit into millennials because I'm biased. I'm 30, Mm. so I'm uh, like you, uh, a Mm -hmm. millennial. And I, I too, wrote my master's thesis on marketing to millennials, uh, Uh focusing on how we love technology and honesty and flexibility and the higher purpose, to mention a few. Um, This generation, as you mentioned on stage in your your excellent talk earlier today, is entering to leadership roles now destined to shape the future around the world. But then another trend is that we don't tend to stay in a job for more than like two years, uh, Mm. if that. How should organizations attract this kind of talent and how do they retain them? I think it's such a crucial question. And indeed, um, companies have done an awful lot in the last 10 years catering to millennial demands, whether it be creating sabbaticals or volunteer days or generating a sense of purpose. You know, they've, they've come a long way. And I think it's really important to remember that actually millennials are now moving into the next life stage. They're becoming parents. They're becoming managers themselves. They're becoming investors. They're homeowners. They're thinking more in the long term. So as millennials enter midlife... What can we say they are going to want? 
in the workplace because their demands are going to change fundamentally. The first thing I think, and one of the things that obviously Nordic countries are light years ahead of most places, especially America, is parental rights and creating a family-friendly workplace because actually millennial parents are going to say, well, I'm going to have to work in, you know, be a work, have a career until I'm 80. Why not? as a father, take six months, nine months off to see my first child through their beginning um, you know, stage of life. Equally, I think creating a flexible work schedule in order to cater for those family responsibilities, whether it's caring for children or caring for the elderly, is going to be one of the, I think, most impressing, pressing list on millennials' priorities. I think also creating experiences rather than opportunities. And what I mean by that is... It's, it's you know, the traditional kind of form of corporate life is a corporate ladder. You move upwards. And actually what millennials are seeking is not just necessarily upwards, but horizontally. And so horizontal promotion and broadening their experiences, um, you know, horizontally and, and kind of breaking down some of those silos and getting them moving around a company. Creating that dynamic of experience will ensure that they don't go, I can't move around, I can't shift around, I can't, I'm, I'm becoming staid employee in this business. And the third thing, and I think the most important thing actually, is education. Uh, millennials are the best educated generation in history. Learning is a core part of their identity and ambition. But learning has to follow what they expect, which is not kind of one-off workshops that stop when they're 30 or, you know, progressive um, leadership training for the, the true stars in the company. It has to be for everyone. It has to be on demand. It has to be crucially bespoke. What a millennial is looking for in a company is a company that cares about them, which is sometimes why interviews with millennial, millennials feel like they're interviewing you rather than you're interviewing <laughs> them because they want to know that they are going to grow. That's crucial. And this company is going to grow with them and is going to enable them to flourish. And yes, that sounds really awkward and annoying and probably quite demanding and cost intensive. But if you keep them, that's, you know, the easiest way of saving money in your business. And indeed, nor do I think that millennial demands are purely millennial demands. Actually, the idea of regular feedback, the idea of flexible working, the idea of a constant education program that is bespoke doesn't just suit millennials. Actually, are fundamental demands that would suit any core worker in a professionalised environment in an automated age. And then there's the generation after the millennials, which everyone is so curious about because it's kind of the generation that's now entering the workforce, Gen Z. And they're fascinating to me and I'm always jealous of them because to <laughs> them, I mean, tech is, it's not a gift, it's a given. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. just, it's just in their hands. Mm. How are they fundamentally different from millennials, if they are? Uh, and as you mentioned, they are more likely to go off and start something on their own. How, mm -hmm. how do companies think about attracting them first of all so i think i i classify them as skeptical they're, they're much more grounded than millennials they're much more skeptical of advertising even the millennials they're much more skeptical of any kind of false came claims by companies when they're trying to recruit them they are much more savvy so they're savvy consumers but they're also savvy workers i think this is the generation that potentially will start to question existing practices in quite radical ways, whether it's questioning diversity and inclusion agenda and going, actually, 
gender is not even a category. So why do you have a women's only network in your company? Um, they're going to question hierarchies because, you know, this is a generation that has grown up on social media, has been able to tweet the president of the United States. So why can't they email the CEO? Why can't you have a workplace that creates as democratic a forum as social media does? And so they're going to really fight for their voice to be heard. I think they're also quite activist. You're seeing this with climate change. You're seeing this with, you know, parkland um, victims in America. They are using and harnessing technology in order to get their voice heard and to get their causes promoted. And they're going to do that in work in the workplace. So they're going to ask you about the gender pay gap. They're going to ask you about maternal um, maternity rights. They're going to ask you what your cleaners are being paid. You know, that kind of advocacy as employees is going to be a huge huge challenge to existing corporate practices. So in many ways, they're savvier, they're more sceptical, and in many ways, they're quite radical and entrepreneurial. I'm quite excited about Generation Z. Yes, they'll probably be a pain, but I think they're a really exciting prospect. And then it seems like a common denominator amongst people um, advising leaders today that uh, it's really, really important to have cognitive diversity in teams, diversity in general, basically. Uh, But obviously, generation and age and experience play into cognitive diversity. Uh, What are the benefits of having a multi-generational workforce and how can companies reinforce that? Um, I mean, I was interestingly, I was working with a tech company not so long ago that realized that over 95% of its employees were millennials and realized the shortcomings in that setup. And so they actively sought to diversify their team and bring in older um, employees. And I think this is a big issue and a big problem that we are now moving to a space in which we have four generations operating in the workplace and that creates all sorts of tensions and indeed ageism so you'll have older people complaining about millennials or gen zers because i don't know they don't know how to answer the phone in a proper appropriate manner um you'll have on the flip side a young person complaining about bureaucratic siloed corporate structures that don't suit the modern world and are you know fixated upon by older people and actually are not really um, befitting a sort of agile working environment so ageism I think is a really important thing that needs to be acknowledged and addressed in your company but crucially how can you overcome those tensions I would say first of all it's about what I call generational intelligence helping the different generations within the workplace understand each other and understand how each of them are a product of their environment, whether it be economics, whether it be corporate culture, whether it be society or education. And then secondly, practical strategies to break down some of those tensions, whether it be a skill swap, so the boomers helping the Gen Zs answer the phone, or or whether it be reverse mentoring, again, a boomer being helped by a millennial to um, really kind of indoctrinate them on modern forms of leadership. That really helps. If it's done in a safe and um, inclusive way, break down some of those tensions, which are, I see, an increasing problem within businesses and indeed a real obstruction to productivity and profit. Wow, that was uh, very insightful and uh, great. And I know that you have uh, other uh, obligations that you have to run uh, run to. But finally, what are three pieces of advice that you would give to people who want to um, create and uh, reap the benefits of a multi-generational workforce? I think there's three things that each business, business needs to do. It, the first thing is generational intelligence, help 
your colleagues understand each other and reduce and remove, hopefully, some of that fear that exists across the generations. The second thing I would do is really create a democratic environment in which people feel their voice is heard. Because even if you instigate change, change at pace creates fear particularly amongst older employees. And I think as people are working longer, they need to feel valued and they need to feel invested in. And if you create a democratic environment and forum in which people feel their voices are heard and acknowledged and um, respected, I think you go a long way to enabling, to create an ethos in which pace Um, change at pace can be enacted upon and the third thing I think is education for life there's no greater demonstration of investment in an individual and investing in their education and indeed one of the things that I think is most disappointing in corporate culture is that training and development tends to stop at 30 maybe mid-30s if you're a kind of signaled as a, a future leader People are working for longer they're healthier for longer why not work for longer sometimes out of need sometimes out of choice why don't you instill within your company a learning and development program that doesn't just stop at 35, but actually, you know, restarts again at 50, is still going at 60? Because millennials and Gen Zers will have to work longer. There's no doubt about it. And when the age of automation are going to have to learn and learn fast. So they are going to be moving towards companies that have a dynamic learning culture that helps their employees learn for life. Before I let you go, I have three quick questions. Mm-hmm. First question is, uh, if you could give your 20-year-old self one piece of advice, what would you, uh, what would you tell yourself? Stop wearing so much black. No. Um. Stop wearing black. <laughs> I, I, just to, for context to our listeners, Eliza is wearing bright pink, which I love. Um, don't think that your learning stops with your degree. That's the beginning, not the end. What's your favorite podcast? Ooh, um, I really like the West Wing podcast. I'm a bit old school. I really love the West Wing. <laughs> and there's a brilliant podcast on the West Wing, which I just love. Yeah, bit geeky, that one. And finally, where could uh, or where should people go to follow you? Um, I'm on Twitter. Eliza Philby um, is, my, is my name um, and my Twitter handle. I'm on LinkedIn again Eliza Philby and indeed my website elizaphilby.com has all sorts of stuff I've written reports I've done and info on generational intelligence but I do and I am in the process of finishing my book which is about the very stuff I've been talking about right now I know I read that online and I'm very excited to I wish I could have spoken to you for a lot longer because I had so <laughs> many questions but you uh, fortunately speak very fast so we got a oh, lot of information gosh. into uh, these uh, few minutes thank you so much for joining us uh, Eliza It was super interesting. Thank you. You're listening to Future Forecast. Tune in next week for more interesting insights on technology, leadership, and sustainability with experts from around the world. I'm your host, Isabel Reynas. Talk to you next week.